It started seven years ago, the last week of June, when a group of 14 people gathered in a living room, not, not half the size of this stage. Whenever they gathered together for the first time, 14 people hungry to see what God might do in a new church, a church called Grace Point Church, 14 people seven years ago. And it's hard to believe for me, in my mind, to think about that, how we gathered. Not all, not all 14 people stayed for various reasons. Some were uh, very happy where they were or in their faith and in, 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 their, in, their, in their process. But 14 people gathered to pray that God would raise up a church called Grace Point Church that would end up being a significant part of God's kingdom, uh, contributing here and around the world. That was a vision from the very beginning. And uh, here we are today, and we had no clue we would be where we are today. We would be what we are today. We would be made up of who we are today. It's pretty exciting to think and see. And, and then to think seven years from now, what will we look like? Where will we be? Who will we be impacting? I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun to be on this journey. I don't know. It's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. But I think there's a whole, a whole host of opinions about church and and in fact, if you're one who today is, is looking for maybe a spiritual community, that you're looking for a church or a, a place that your faith can kind of mature and blossom and grow, then you'll come into a, a place like Grace Point or you'll, you'll go to another church in northwest Arkansas or if you're not from here, you'll, wherever you are, you'll, you'll go in and you walk out, and I know it because I do the same thing, you walk out into this critique mode. Before you actually get very far down the road, if you get that far, you're already either speaking in code to your spouse or speaking out and open to, the, to, to how was it, what did you think, what was the music like, what was the message like. Everything kind of goes into a critique mode. And I, we just realize that that's a part of it. We're kind of a consumeristic mentality culture, and so we end up doing that almost with a movie, with a restaurant, even with church. What is it like? What, are the, what, was it, what was, was it good for you? Was it not? And, you know, some people just walk away and they just say, you know what, church isn't for me. And uh, here's what one person said in a letter uh, to the editor of his, his local paper. He said, I've gone to church for 30 years now. And in that time, I have heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. And the pastors are wasting their time by giving sermons at all. And that was his conclusion, his letter to the editor. Well, that just sparked the community going. And it just kind of, there were letters going back and forth in the editorial until finally one person kind of silenced everybody with this response to that one letter. And there were some good, some pro, some uh, anti-church, uh, whatever the case may be, their views were. But this is what the, the kind of silenced everybody. This was the response that was given. The, the person said, I've been married for 30 years now, and in that time my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot tell you an entire menu of, one single, uh, of a single one of those meals. But I do know this, that all nourished me and gave me strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. 
and that silenced everybody. Because really sometimes until you don't have something, you don't realize the value that it adds to your life. And when we lived in Africa, and I can tell you all the stories about that time and again, we realized once we didn't have a church what we missed in that church. The thing is, there's a lot of people today who attend church. There's a lot of people who don't attend church. George Barna, in his book I read a few years ago, The Revolution, he said 70% of Americans attend church somewhere, sometime, at least once a month. The problem is, is that he's in this book, Revolution, he's talking about how that is soon changing. He's saying that in that study, he says 70% of believers in 2000 express and experience their faith in a local church. He estimates, and his estimations are extremely accurate since 1980 he's been writing in his predictions through study scientifically they've been about 90 percent accurate he's saying by the year 2025 that that number will drop from 70 to 30 to 35 percent there is a mass exodus of churches today i want to share a message with you today that is a message that i have shared seven times as we have grown in this church every from day one, I guess it would be eight times, I shared it the very first time we met, on the very first day, and I share it every year about this time, because you know what the great thing about it is I feel like I need to go back and revisit why I'm here. We, I need to go back and think about what's this all about and kind of revisit the basics. And that's what this message is. It's just from the very day one, that last Sunday in June of 2001, when we met in the living room of Sean and Candace Bowen, when we met there, this was the, the thoughts that were on my heart of what it was all going to be about. Over the, over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to talk about the difference, hopefully, that Grace Point Church can make or is making in people's lives. But the Lord is about planting churches, and I said that on the very first Sunday. I quoted C. Peter Wagner, who says this, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. America's population from 1960 to 1990 grew 22%. During that same period, churches only grew 7%. The U.S. is growing at a rate of 68 million new births uh, uh, from, uh, since 1990 and 23 million new immigrants into our, into, our, into our borders. And yet, according to this book that I'm reading right now, The American Church in Crisis, it says there's not one state in the United States that has a positive growth rate, uh, any church, in, uh, excuse me, uh, statewide going to church, there's not one state that can say that we have more people going to church that's keeping track up with the growth of the community. What's the point? The point is that people are giving up on the church. We say across the banner of our website, we're a church for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. We want there to be something different about Grace Point that says that, you know what, this is not like the church I grew up in because. Because I realize that many people were burned in the church that they grew up in. Now, I'm not saying every experience you had in church was bad. But there are a lot of people who have given up on the church. These people who are walking out of the church, as, as Barna points out, as Olson points out, are people who said, listen, I'm sick of the institution. I'm sick of the four walls of the church. I'm sick of it just being a building about themselves and building unto themselves. Is there not more? Does it not have more significance? Jesus points out in, in the book of Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest, into the fields. God has a plan that he wants to send you and I, his church, 
into his, into his fields. The fields that we live in. Take your Bibles. We find the book of Matthew chapter 16. I want to tell you a story today about Jesus and the last six months of his life as he's, as he's kind of coming to the end. His ministry on the earth is really wrapping up. He's in the last six months of, uh, of his, his ministry on the earth, been on the earth for 33 years, and he's in that last six months. He knows it's the end. He knows the end is in sight. Now, what does a person do when they have a long-term strategy, when they have a global focus, and they want this movement to continue way beyond themselves, what does a person do? He develops an exit strategy. That's exactly what Jesus does here in the last six months of his life. He begins to ramp up two things. He begins to ramp up, number one, looking ahead to the cross. He knows that's his destination. He knows he's going to the cross. He's preparing for the cross. In fact, the Bible says he fixes his eyes on Jerusalem. And the whole idea that he knows he's going to Jerusalem ultimately to die. But the second thing he does is he prepares for his exit. He's leaving. He's going away. But the, the movement is not going to end there. His exit strategy has a title. It's two words. Are you ready for them? The exit strategy is the church. That was a totally new word to the disciples. They had never heard the word. It was the Greek word ekklesia. Maybe they had heard it before, but it was never used in the context in which he uses it in this passage of Scripture. So Jesus begins to form an exit strategy that he begins to pass on the baton to his followers that here is my plan. My plan is to get my message, my truth, myself to the whole world, and you're going to be the ones who are going to do it. And so here's the plan. And so in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to begin reading here in this story, uh, beginning at verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, verse 13, He was asking His disciples, Who do people, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And He said to them, But... Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There it is, underscored the very first time in Scripture the word church is used. It's used right here. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys. Now here he's beginning to pass the baton. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. As you think about that passage and you think about the words there, it doesn't mean that much to people who have been in church. And listen, America is churched. We have churches on every corner. We have churches next to churches. We have, I think you ought to call New Hope Road and Rogers Church Street. I mean, that is, that is Church Boulevard. I mean, you can't fit any more churches on that street. I mean, the fact is, is that we just live in the South and there's just tons of churches. We're enamored by churches. Now... It doesn't mean that every church is saying the same thing, believing the same beliefs. That's where you've got to get in a little deeper. 
But here's what, here, here's what Jesus is doing, is he introduces a new concept. So let's just kind of erase, now please understand what I'm saying, erase new hope from our minds, okay? Erase Grace Point Church from our minds. And let's think about it in the terms of these disciples getting the message from Jesus for the very first time. So this is a totally new paradigm for them, totally new concept for them. What does Jesus say about the church? Because I know for some of us already we've clicked in. I had this experience at church and it was bad. I had this experience in church and it was good. I like this about Grace Point Church, but I don't like this about Grace Point Church. And we start doing this evaluation consumerism all over again. Stop it. Stop it. Let's take a moment. And let's back up to the first century. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. And what was he saying in the very beginning? Because there's some elements that are here that I hope will always be a part of Grace Point Church. There's no guarantee of it. That's why every year I come back eight eight times now and share the same message again and again. Because we've got to continue to come back and realign ourselves and make sure we are living up to God's original intent and God's original exit strategy for His world. All right? These elements, jot them down, number one. The first element is that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which Grace Point Church is built. The foundation, the very bedrock of, of this church is not Mike McDaniel and Lori McDaniel. Yeah, we may have started the church, but you know what? The great thing about this church, Lord can take us out in a heartbeat, and this church can go on. It doesn't have to have Mike and Lori McDaniel. It doesn't have to have any single member of this church. This church is unique, and I say unique because it doesn't have to have any of us. It's got to have somebody, but that somebody is Jesus Christ. And from that, all he, he will begin to build upon that foundation. That foundation being Jesus Christ is the bedrock, the very foundation. And the crazy thing about this whole illustration of the foundation idea is that we understand that. When we build a house, when we build a home, when we build whatever we build, what's the first thing you've got to do very, very well? You've got to make sure you've got good foundation. There's something called gravity. And this gravity is pulling us down. And if we aren't careful, we'll have more weight up here and less weight down here, and all of a sudden it topples all over. That's why we pay all this money for an engineer, a structural engineer, to make sure that we have the right foundation under whatever we're living our life on. Now, my question to you is, what are you building your faith on top of? Your ideas? Oprah's ideas? Anybody else's ideas? Or have you got a bedrock foundation that will weather the storms of life, go through the pains of life, be able to go through persecution, go through whatever life deals you? The great thing about this church is we're not built on Mike McDaniel. We're built on Jesus Christ. He is the foundation upon which we're building. Here's the passage of Scripture again. Go back there. And Again, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. And he's asking his disciples, what does he ask his disciples? He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? I like that phrase because what Jesus does is he he becomes a pollster. He becomes a sociologist. He says, what's everybody saying out there about me? What's everybody's opinion? Who do people at large say that I am? Well, then who steps up but... uh, they, they give an answer. Well, some say, you can see this person here, some says you're John the Baptist. Well, I heard the other day somebody thinks you're Elijah, and some people think you're a prophet, and, and some people think you're this, and some people think you're that, and some people think you're this. You've got all these different opinions out there. Now, don't we have the same thing in our day and age? 
They were confused about Jesus in the first century, and we're still confused about him in the 21st century. There's all kinds of beliefs out there about who Jesus is. There's one belief that if you look at the Hindu faith, they believe that Jesus, well, in the Hindu faith, they believe that he was a, uh, he was a young, he took, on a, when, he, when Jesus was a teenager, he took a, a journey to India. And when he was in India, he, he, he learned uh, uh, different doctrines of the Hindus, meditations, yogic meditations. He became kind of a guru of, of sorts. And then he moved back to Israel, and when he got back to Israel, at that point, he began to teach, and he became a young teacher or a young guru to the Israel people. That's what the Hindus would believe about Jesus. They'll take Jesus, and we've had some very dear friends of ours that are, that are Hindu, and they've shared this about, about their faith and, and about their faith. They'll take Jesus, and they'll worship Jesus. They'll pray to Jesus, but they'll just pray to Jesus with their 300,000 other gods that they pray to. So that's their view of Jesus. He's, he is a God, but He's just one of 300,000 gods. What do you ask when you get a Buddhist? You ask a Buddhist, and they'll say that Jesus and Buddha were brothers. Jesus and Buddha were brothers, and they were all about the kind of the same kind of thought. They would believe that, you, that ultimately you're striving for universal love, and that ultimately you and I can achieve Buddhahood. One of the fastest-growing religions in America is called Zen Buddhism. It is growing very fast. It's very common, very popular, especially in Hollywood. Jews believe in a Jewish history book called the Toledoth Yesu that Jesus was the bastard child of a seduced Mary and he had magical powers and sorcery. That would be the view of a Jewish person of who Jesus is. Islam. Oh, Jesus is a great prophet. He's not the final prophet. Muhammad is the final prophet. In fact, their statement would be that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. He is the ultimate final prophet to the world. And Jesus was just another prophet, but he was not God. That would be what a Muslim would believe. If you were to ask a Jehovah's Witness what they believed, Jesus Christ was formerly the archangel Michael, but came to earth simply as a man. He wasn't divine, but was merely a servant of Jehovah. He died a martyr's death and never rose again. That would be what a Jehovah's Witness. Mormons, you ask them, that Jesus was conceived of Mary after God came to earth and had relations with, with her. Jesus was good enough over time to achieve godhood. Again, another belief about who Jesus is. If you're a postmodernist, then you could just write your own. All right? Just write your own belief. There's, there's no set systematic belief of who Jesus is. I think uh, uh, Buffy the Bam Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle Geller, says it the best way. It's probably the best picture of it. Whenever in that movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer was, was being cast and, and dealt with, it was, it was created by an atheist, and they ran for seven seasons and involved Buddhism, Christianity, Judas, uh, Judaism, and, and, and Wicca. But this is what she said. She says, I consider myself a spiritual person. She said this in a Rolling Stones magazine article in 99. She says, I believe in the idea of God, although it's my own personal idea. I find most religion interesting, and I've been uh, to, very, to every kind of denomination, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, and Buddhist, I have taken bits from everything and customized it. That's her view on faith. Is you just take a little bit of everything, put it in a blender and mix it up. But I want to give you another area. It's the notional Christians. 
A notional Christian is the idea of a person who says, you know what, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Hindu, and I don't believe you just mix it all together. I'm kind of of the Christian faith. If they were ever to answer a survey, they would say, I'm Protestant, or I'm Catholic, or I'm Evangelical. Or they may not even know what those terms mean, they just say, I'm Christian. I've heard people say, I'm a Christian because, you know, I live in a Christian nation. And that makes living in a, in, a, in a Christian nation like there is such thing, that makes them Christian. Listen, that's a notional idea that I identify with a notion, I identify with a belief, but is that really what it means to be a Christian? Is that you just merely mark off yourself as a Protestant or Catholic or a Baptist or whatever? Does that make you Christian? Is that what a Christian is? Forty percent, forty-four percent, excuse me, acknowledge that Christians that they believe in the Christian notion, that I, I'm that way. But I love this verse. Now, don't forget what Jesus just did there in verse, verse 13. He says, who do people say that I am? But let me just say this. Notional Christianity is not what we're talking about. Because now go with me to verse 15. He says this. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Would you underscore the word you in your Bible if you have it? Because let me tell you why notional Christianity is not what we're talking about. Notional Christianity says, I believe in that system of beliefs. I'm not, I'm not a Mormon and I'm not a Jehovah's Witness and I'm not all those kind of things out there. I'm not a postmodern. I'm not any of that stuff. But I do believe the Christian way is the way. That's not what we're talking about. See, that's religion. Jesus is not about religion. He's about a relationship. He wants to not know what do people say that I am. He wants to know who do you say that I am. Who am I to you? He said, who do the people say that I am? But then he turns right around and he says, who do you say that I am? Because when it all boils all down and when we all are pushing up daisies and our life is finished and we breathe our last breath, guess what? It's not going to be us that's going to stand before the throne of God and answer that question. It's going to be me, Mike McDaniel, standing before God. And he's going to say, who do you say that I am? Who did you say that I was? How did you live your life? Was it for me or were you just a notional Christian? See, I think what we have got to realize and we've got to get to the bedrock of really who we are, get past the surface, get past the persona, get past all that other stuff, and just say, who is Jesus to me? Is he a notion? Is he a religion? Or is he my God? What did Peter say? He said, who do people say that I am? And Simon jumped up and he said, you are the Christ. The, the anointed one from God is what Christ means. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no ambiguity there. There's no, well, you may be Elijah, or you may be a prophet, or you may be this, or you may be that. There's no ambiguity. He melts it all away. He says, you are the Christ, the very one we've been looking for. You're who I am living for. You're everything. That, my friend, is what real Christianity is. And that's what I want Grace Point Church to be. Built on a foundation like that unashamedly, unequivocally, without a doubt, we are living for Christ. How do you do that? Everything about our church has been built on five purposes. And these five purposes have to be lived out. And when we live out these purposes, guess what? We are living out the life that Christ would have us to live. How do you show Christ to this world? Because there's a whole lot of confused people. In fact, as I was going through that list of different beliefs about Jesus today, 
I have to believe some of you are saying, hey, I, I can identify with that. I know somebody who believes that. I, I, I have a neighbor. I have a friend. I have a work associate. They're all kind of mixed in there. I work with Michelle uh, Gallagher. I, I work with somebody just like that. They've just kind of got a boiling pot and they mixed it. How do we show the world as a church, if we're a part of God's big plan, how do we show the world who Jesus is? Here's five ways real quickly. Number one, we show him enthusiastically through worship. Listen, worship is not just something done on Sunday, but it is done on Sunday. It needs to be something that we come into this place and let our, let our hearts come, uh, just be emptied out and filled up and emptied out and filled up and just express our worship to God enthusiastically. Enthusiasm actually is the root word, God within. When God is within, you're letting Him out in worship. Let Him out. When you're at work, be enthusiastic about life. Let that be an act of worship. Be enthusiastic. Have joy in your heart and let it out. Have God in your life and let Him out. Some people think worship needs to be some solemn assembly of sacred saints. I think that's just rigor mortis is all that is. Real worship is among the other things. A.W. Tozer said, a feeling about our, the Lord our God. It is in our hearts and we must be willing to express it. Express your worship to God enthusiastically. Number two, we need to show God practically. And that's going to be, we're going to do that through ministry. 91% of those who are not in church will tell you this about the church, is I don't know that they can do anything for me. You know what the best thing we could do is we could step up to this world and get outside these four walls and not just come to church, but we would be the church. One of my favorite statements is this, don't come to church, be the church. Let's get past these four walls and this is our church. I love the youth, they just did a, a do-loss tour and just did random acts of kindness. Go into a home of a, of a single mother who, 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 and remodel it. Back in the fall or back at Christmas time, we had a Faith in Action weekend. We had about 15 different ministries throughout the community. You know why we do that? It's not so we can do it once or twice a year. It's so that we will get into the framework, into the fabric of our church, that we can be ministers as an electrician, as a plumber, as a teacher, as, a, as an educator, as a professional, as a person in a cubicle at Walmart. I can be on mission with God practically showing Jesus off in ministry. Lovingly is another way that we're going to show off the real Jesus through fellowship. We do that through fellowship. Man, I hope that there's a sweet fellowship in this church. I hope there's always a sweet fellowship in this church. The people will love to be with the people of Grace Point Church. That you'll make connections and relationships. We're going to have a thing here tonight, and one of the primary reasons we're having it and having the fiesta and all that is so that we'll develop more relationships you realize, and I read 10 minutes a few years back, but just recently I read it's now down to 7 minutes, that a person will decide whether or not they're going to come back to a church within the first 7 to 10 minutes of their experience on campus. I mean, if they can't find a place for their car, the amazing thing is they can't find a place for them then. If they can't find a place, they find a place for their car, but they come in and nobody says anything to them and everybody ignores them and nobody welcomes them, guess what? This is a cold place. They come into here and they're sitting right next to people and everybody else is in their own little cliques and communities, but nobody else is involving them. Guess what? They'll decide real quickly, I'm not coming back there. That's not a friendly place. We've got to realize that we must show Jesus lovingly to those around us. And we do that through having an awesome fellowship. We have a little three-minute rule around here. Let's do it today as well. 
Every time we dismiss a service, the first three minutes you'll not spend time talking to your friends and neighbors immediately around you unless you don't know them. Meet somebody new in the first three minutes. Get to know them. Who knows? You might find your next best friend in that circle. We do it lovingly through fellowship, relevantly. Also, we do that through evangelism, and that's basically outreach. We've got to show Jesus is relevant to life. This is going to be a process, not an event, okay? This is a process that we go through where we get to know people, we invest in our life in people, we invite people, we intercede for people, we do all that. The lastly, biblically, we've got to show Jesus biblically, and that's going to be through discipleship. We're going to help people grow in their faith so that they can know God and walk with God and live for God and, and experience God in an awesome and in a dynamic way. Now, just think about it for just a moment. Okay? Let's stop. If we were to live Jesus out enthusiastically, passionately, practically, lovingly, relevantly, and biblically, what a difference. There would be no ambiguity in who Jesus is to us. And if we would just worship and minister, do ministry and fellowship right and have outreach on our hearts and discipleship uh, practices in our lives, what a difference it would make. Howard Hendricks told us a study that he did when he was uh, teaching 2,800 Dallas businessmen. He asked these Dallas, many of them believers, he asked 2,800 Dallas businessmen whether or not they went to church on Sunday. Then he asked them, they went to church on Sunday, was there any connection between what happened in church on Sunday and what happens at work on Monday? The study reported that out of that group of men, that 82% said there was no connection. Listen, we've got to show Jesus is real in everyday life. He's real in my life. He's real in my marriage. He's real in my relationship with my kids. He's real in every decision I make. He's real in the way I do business. He's real in every area of my life. When we have that real kind of Christianity, we have moved from religion to a relationship. We're real and authentic at that point. That's the kind of faith that we need to have as a church. Built on the foundation of Jesus Christ is everything. Here's the second thing, real quickly. Jesus Christ is the foreman through whom Grace Point Church is built. He's the foreman. He's the foundation, but He's also our foreman. Verse 18, whenever Peter gave this response, Jesus said, uh, I said, you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. God had a plan. Okay, Peter, you've got it. You, what you just said there is right. And from that statement right there, I'm going to use what you said, Peter, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, and from that statement, I am going to build my church. I will build my church. Jesus is in the church building business. Not this kind of building. This kind of building. He's going to build His church. And from that, He will be the foreman on which this church is built. You think, where's Jesus at? I don't see Him around here. See, the thing is, is that He uses us to do His work. Jesus is the builder. He is the contractor. He's the designer of the church. But He uses us as His hands and His feet. He's the foreman and we are the builders. Jesus said, I will build my church. Paul said, and it sounds, almost sounds like a contradiction in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I laid the foundation as an expert builder... Someone else is building on it. Each one should be careful how he builds. So who's the builder, Jesus or Paul? The answer is yes. They're both the builders. Jesus is the foreman. 
we're the builders. We're listening to His plan. We're going with His design. We're doing it His way. A few weeks ago during our day camp, um, my, a part of my job, I guess, was uh, on Thursday night was to go out in camp and to make sure everybody had a junior counselor and a counselor in their tent. And we, had, we were blessed. We had a lot of people come out, and it was all taken care of. In fact, most of the tents were full. Well, I, uh, and Lori's tent was full too. So I said, Lori, let's go sleep on the dock. And so we went and we slept on a waterbed, all right? And that was fun because I took a mosquito net tent and I put it up and we just laid out there. We heard the kids up on the hill and we heard the, all that kind of stuff. And we just, for 45 minutes, told stories about you. Good stories, all right? We told stories that you told us in your life. We talked about how, oh, did you hear this about this family and their struggles that they're going through? And we stop and we pray. We think through. We'd, 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 yeah, we need to help them. Then we come over and we hear, did you hear this? This is awesome. What's going? God's doing in this, this person's life. And we just did this for 45 minutes and it was so exciting. And you know what? As we sat there and did that, we thought, we have a family. We have a family that's knit, knitting itself together it's being built on Christ. And are we all perfect and do we all agree? No. Does your family? If it does, please talk to me because my family doesn't either. But we do agree about the big picture. We do agree that it's about Jesus Christ and not about us. We do agree that we need to be about His business. And so it was just really cool that night to sit there under the stars and just to hear the story of our family and all that's going on inside of our family. And then I thought back to sitting under those same stars back seven years ago. And I can remember the very first day that we were, it was the Saturday night before we got together for the very first meeting. Again, in a room half the size of this stage, we got together, and I can remember so scared, is anybody going to even show up? You know, it's like throwing a party and not knowing if anybody's going to show up. So here we are, we're putting on a party. We're starting a church. Will anybody show up? I was so nervous. And I was, I was we were staying at my in-laws house because we didn't have a home at the time. And so I'm, I'm standing out and I'm looking at these stars and there is this overwhelming sense of warmth that comes over me. This is, yes, they will. And I will build my church. And I thought about this passage right here. And you know what happened at that point? Not only did the warmth come over me in the sense that God was going to be there and, and all was going to be well, and here we are today, it was like the burden of it all lifted. Because it's not your church, Mike. It's my church. I will build my church. See, the difference is, I hope at Grace Point Church, is that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Him and making sure our life is about Him. I will build my church. That's what he's about. That's what we need to be about. Finally, Jesus Christ is the future to whom Grace Point Church is building. It doesn't stop here. It doesn't end here. Verse 19 says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. When somebody gives you, reaches in their pocket and they give you keys, and I use this illustration every year because it is the beautiful picture that Jesus does. They're giving you authority. They're, they're giving you accessibility. It's also they're giving you accountability. 
If I hand you these keys, you can drive my van with that. You can get into any room in the church with that. You can drive my car with that. You can get into my home with that. You can get into a file cabinet with that. And I don't know what that key's to, but I better not throw it away because it can get into something. But if I give you this, you can get into every area of my life. If I give you this, you have access. You also have authority. You can say, no, Mike gave me his keys. I can drive his car. No, Mike gave me his keys. I can get into his house. If I give you these, I'm giving you authority to do something. Well, we have a future. God is, God, God's got a plan. He has an exit strategy. Jesus isn't hanging around. He's going to heaven. He says, to prepare a place, to prepare a place for us. That's pretty cool. So he's gone to prepare a place for us. But while I'm gone, let me, let me tell you why. You take care of things around here for me, would you? I'm going to give you the keys to my kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So basically, your account here on earth will be an account in heaven. So what is it, if I want something to go on and on and on forever and ever and ever and ever, what do I need to do? I need to be investing in something that will go on forever and ever and ever. You know who that is? That's people. My money won't, my car won't, my home won't, none of that stuff. He has given me the keys to heaven, and I can help people get there. We have a future as a church as long as we continue to be a church for the unchurched. When we close up and close the door and we get inside of ourselves, and that's what this book, The, the, the American Church in Crisis, is so much talking about, is how churches have become, that become inward, no longer outward, no longer opening up the keys of the kingdom of heaven in people's lives. Guess what? It all kind of falls apart and crumbles as a church. Philip Yancey said in his book, the Jesus I never knew. Many, far too many, abandoned the quest for Jesus, entirely repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. Stonebriar Community Church started in North Dallas area on October 14, 1996, by a 60-plus-year-old pastor, Chuck Swindoll, with 100 people. He said on the very first day that they met, he says, as for us, here tonight because all of us here are interested in the beginning of a ministry that has never existed before but by the grace of God will live on will will live uh, will outlive all of us i hope this is a ministry listen it's not just for today but i hope it's for all eternity and I hope that when I'm dead and gone and I'm no longer the pastor here, that there'll be a pastor standing here one day and he'll be teaching your children and your great-grandchildren the same message. Jesus is the foundation. Build your life on Him. Jesus is the foreman. Follow His lead. Jesus is the future. Go with Him. Keep taking people to Him. There's a lot of people hungry and desperate and needy out there. And the great thing is, as Marilyn Deneen realized whenever on uh, April 26th in, Edin, uh, in uh, excuse me, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. Because on Friday night, she went, to, she went to church for the first time in a very long time because on Friday night there was a school shooting. When a guy walked into the school, the school danced and murdered the, the, the science teacher, John Gillette, the 14-year-old boy's nickname was Satan. Marilyn Deneen was so overwhelmed with grief and shattered her hopes of life she came back and this is what she said to the person who greeted her at the door. I don't usually come. But today I needed something. 
I needed to be with people that believed in something. And I'll tell you what you've got at Grace Point Church is you don't have a perfect church. You don't have a perfect church. You don't have a church that's going to agree on everything. But you do have a church that believes in something. It's going to be built on something that's going to try to get as many people there. God loves this church. Candace, Jerry, would you all come up here and share a song with us just to kind of close out our thoughts today. If you're not a part of a church, find one. I'm not saying Grace Point's for everybody. I'll tell you that all the time, all day long. But it's for some people. And it's for those who really want to get to know God. Let Him be the foundation of their life. Let Him be the foreman of their life that He can build upon. And He's the future of your, of your life, your dreams, your hopes, your eternity.